1: going on y'all uh, welcome in to the hold that podcast podcast it is Monday it is uh, immediately following the shocking LSU Tiger loss to the Missouri Tigers it is tell the truth Monday in our purple and gold vernacular and thus what we will do on today's show is tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth as ugly as and as seasonably appropriate as that truth may be, that's right, it's around Halloween time, and if you're an LSU fan, you will not find anything more spooky or terrifying than the defensive performances that you have seen two out of the three weeks of this season. Uh, I'm your host, T. Bob Bear, host off the bench to the show on 104.5 ESPN, Uh joined by my co-host, Brody Miller, who writes The Athletic. Brody, what's up?
2: Uh, not too much, man. Uh, I, I, I. Before we get to all the bad stuff we're gonna say about LSU, I just want to say I'm a little disappointed because this like was gonna be my podcast. This was gonna be my moment. Texas A&M beat Florida. You know, yep. I was gonna finally be able to be like, "Hey, Texas A&M's pretty good, guys." I told you. You know, it was gonna be a nice little thing for me. And then, uh, and now we we can't talk about anything other than basically what happened to LSU's defense Saturday. So thanks a lot, LSU defense.
1: Yeah, um, I will say this because we're going to criticize Bo Pelini quite a bit today. Uh, yes, my will. takes have been Bo Pelini esque, as I think everything that I said <laughs> Saturday went wrong. Said LSU was the mortal lock of the century. I said Texas would win. I said Texas A&M would be close by the end of the game. Uh, I said Tennessee couldn't hang with Georgia, and I guess that kind of ended up coming true. But even then, they had like a bit more success than I thought they would. Uh, I talked a lot of shit about Stetson Bennett, only for him to go and have a great game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically everything that I've said about college football over the last week and has been... Uh, wrong in terms of
2: predictions. So are we going to spin that as people should uh, not listen to you anymore, or should we say you're due? Like you got all your bad picks, and now you're it's going to revert back to the mean. You're going to go well. 100% no, this
1: I would say don't judge me by my predictions because predictions don't matter anyway, right? Like and everybody remembers and they get it right, they ignore and they get it wrong. It is what it is. Like what I will say is listen to the critiques that I have given you, and then answer me whether or not for the most part. Those have come true. Now, obviously, after the Vanderbilt game, I was way off on this defense. But as we'll get into, and if you heard the show this morning, a lot of what I said was immediately echoed by Ogeron and the staff in his press conference on this Monday. Um, After game one, when everybody was panicking on Brennan, I said, look, man, what I saw wasn't that bad. Let's calm down, give him a chance. He's been really good, even though the offense definitely has stuff to fix. So, no, I mean, look, prediction is one thing. But I do feel confident in my ability to analyze film And to see what's wrong. And I spent four hours with this game last night. And it was a miserable four hours that I absolutely hated. uh, But it had to be done. So um, I I think this is how I want to handle it, Brody. I have, like, I've talked about this so much. And I know where I start. So I want to see where you start. And then I'll just kind of rebound off of you and see where this goes. Uh, By the way, subscribe to The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Great sign up deal. Is the dollar a month deal still going on? If it's not that, it's 40% off. It so either way, okay, so it still is a dollar a month right now. Theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. And while you're on The Athletic, check out Football and Grits SEC podcast. Uh, okay, Brody, where do you start with LSU's shocking loss to the one and two
2: Missouri Tigers? I think you have to simply start with the man in charge. You have to start with Bo Pelini. I think that's where every discussion has to come from because we can talk about the players who look bad. We can talk about you know, all the, the things that went wrong in that entire game or the goal line or anything on that. But you have to start with Bo Pelini was the guy who just got paid $2.3 million to be LSU's defensive coordinator. And more than that, Ed Ogeron had just won a national championship. His stock will never have been higher. He could have hired, you would assume, just about anyone in the country to some extent. Yeah. And he had this big checkbook, and he sought out Bo Pelini. He, he was like, this is my guy. He, he was going for him back in December when, when Dave Veranda was kind of flirting with uh, another job. So, and that's the result you get. And, and listen, I mean, we... On this show, I'm am, I am one of the culprits, I'm one of the guys, and I think you are too of, we thought this defense had a chance to be really good because we like the talent. you know. And I I, I But we threw this caveat on every single one of those things we said. And I believe the things I said, to be clear. I thought they were going to be good and I'll own it. But we threw this one caveat every time and I said, listen, I think it's going to be good but Bo Pelini hasn't coached FCS, FBS football in seven years. He hasn't coached in the SEC in 13 years. There is that risk. There is that chance. Yeah. And I'm I'm at a point now, three games in, two bloodbaths in against not particularly good teams. He, I hate to be dramatic with things, but the game might have The game looks him like it's passed him by. I mean, yeah, that, that, that it, much it looks like feels it. obvious. It very much does. I mean, that was an all-around failure. It was a failure through two of these three games in how to defend modern offenses. It was a failure in communication, just having a team that looks like it's prepared. It was a failure in effort. It was a failure in adjusting. I mean, it was a – I don't think, aside from, like, the pass rush, I guess, I don't think there's a single thing you can point to that say that, like, they are in the right direction right now. Uh, no, it's it's
1: unthinkable. Um, you're sitting here one and two.
2: And how about this? The
1: opponents you've played are combined two and nine with the only two wins coming directly against you. Um, it's Or or two and seven, excuse me. They're combined two and seven, and the two wins come directly against you. Um, the wilder part is you sit here at one and, two, one and two, having lost to two other bad one and two teams despite – leading the SEC, and being third in the nation in turnover margin, despite being top 10 in terms of penalty discipline, in terms of calls against you. I mean, the, the, those are two statistics of turnover, especially where that is that is truly unthinkable. And in my opinion, it's truly bizarre. And so you have to ask yourself, how in the world did we arrive here? <laughs> and like the only answer is because the defense – has been bizarrely and unthinkably bad. Like, don't get me wrong. There are definite personnel issues on this team. I mean, we, we like, when things are going this historically badly, everybody has a piece in it. Absolutely. But ultimately, when it comes to personnel issues, it's a coach's job to mitigate those issues. Uh, it seems like right now Bo Pelini is not mitigating anything. In fact, it looks like he's exacerbating the personnel issues and my guy Alex Anderson in the YouTube chat in our show this morning had a good point where it's like you know because some people are like look I mean uh exit you know so and so didn't know what to do that's not on the coach well when everybody doesn't know what to do like like when every kid in the class fails the test at what point is it the teacher's fault right like at what yeah. point were the kids not taught the material and when I watch this film I wrote this down halfway through the first quarter, and and not only did it stay true, but it just continued to get worse and worse. I have never in my life seen a defense that looked as confused as what I saw in this Missouri film. I mean, the Mizzou pre-snap movement, you would have thought that LSU was trying to solve one of life's greatest enigmas. (laughs) And if you're wondering why the defense looks so slow, mental confusion leads to slow play. Why are Damone Clark and Jabril Cox catching blocks five yards down the field, refusing at a hole? Because they don't know what to do. They don't know what they're trying to figure out where everybody is supposed to line up. And and look, I am not uh, by no means my defensive scheme expert, okay? But this is my view on what is going on. I, I think very clearly in, in the past we've described Dave Aranda's defense as kind of an amorphous blob, right? This yeah. kind of base defense that, that's very um, adaptable. It can work in a ton of different situations. So you didn't have to be very uh, – you didn't have to try to match shift for shift with the offense. This Bo Pelini defense not only seems overly complicated if just the general sense of confusion is – in the indicator but it looks like every single person has a very specific assignment that switches based on like the smallest is the, the smallest emotions. Mm-hmm. And so I think Drinkwitz understood this and it perfectly goes with what he wants to do offensively anyway. And all of a sudden he knows if he just throws in a little window dressing, a couple guys moving here and there, LSU is constantly. And then and then a dash of tempo added on top, just snapping it pretty quick, getting down the line nicely. Um, LSU's defense, I mean, Brody, it was almost every single play, and I'm not exaggerating. It was almost every play you had at least one guy not set when the ball was snapped or still talking yeah. to someone when the ball was snapped. It was un. Believable. It just did not look like a team that was prepared for anything that LSU had brought to the table. And so I just, I mean, the linebacking play, and that's the worst part of it. And that is Bo Pelini's position group on top of the defense as a whole. I mean, I've never seen linebackers play so passive, never got within five no. yards of line of scrimmage after the ball was snapped. I mean, catching blocks five yards deep. Um, it's 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 shocking. It, it truly is shocking at how bad it is, and now it's having a. It's it's just spawning all of these incredibly awkward and 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 very real conversations that you would have never thought that you would have had just long ago. Like, do you have to think about firing him after year one? Yeah. Is LSU even going to be able to pull off five and five this season? Is this such a disaster? How do you recruit to this defense? Like, are you going to end up affecting recruiting? I mean, the knock on effect of this failure is, uh, it's potentially huge. I mean, that's where they got to get the ship right fast. But, I mean, look at look at this. You haven't even played a good offense yet. Nope. That's the craziest thing. Mississippi State, KJ Costell, and the other two games combined has thrown for like 500 yards, one touchdown, and like seven picks. Uh, Basilek, before this, his second ever start, missing three of his top five receivers. Uh, Basilik, I think, had... Completed like, uh, I think he threw up like 200 yards and no touchdowns in one pick. And then he comes out and does you like he just did you? I mean, I just never have seen it. So so it's just, it's, it's, it's unfathomable about how bad this could become if something doesn't improve. Because, I mean, Ole Miss's offense looks incredible. Alabama's looks incredible. Florida's. I'm at the point, LSU needs to adopt the Lane Kiffin mindset which is like Lane Kiffin operates under the assumption that his defense is going to give up seven points every single time. <laughs> and that's incredibly freeing in a way, right? You can yeah. be more risky. You can go for it on fourth down. You can do that onside kick and not really give a damn because what's the difference if they score from the 50 or score from the 25? Right? I mean, it's the same thing in the end. It's a touchdown either way. Like that's how bad this LSU defense is right now. It's, it's – it's, it's just, it's, it's inexcusable. It's inexplicable. And it speaks to so many. I mean, the pride, the hubris. Where was the game plan against Mississippi State? I mean, what did Kentucky do to hold them to two points? What did Arkansas do to hold them to, to, to 14 points? Exactly what Chris Peterson and Washington State and everybody else has ever done that had success against them. Rush three, drop eight. But LSU thinking they were better than that, refused to put that in. And look at what happened. And then again, they looked like they had no idea what Missouri was doing. Look what happened. So it's a lack of preparedness. It's a, it's a failure in the main thing that a coach needs to do in a scheme, which is communicate responsibility to the player. And then it's a failure in in-game adjustments. And then you combine that with the mass exodus of talent, and the personnel problems, and you have the worst LSU defense ever points-wise through three games despite the fact that you have a game mixed in there where you only gave up seven. <laughs>
2: and and uh, first off beautifully done I enjoyed every second of that you nailed it and there's some things I want to ask you follow-ups on but yeah I mean you, you use the word hubris and that is the right word because I mean you talked I mean I've spent a lot of this whole year talking to people who from Nebraska or people who played for him or coached with him and all these things and and yeah thing you really hear from people very commonly is Bo Pelini is a very smart coach but he is a lot of hubris you know he is somebody who can be yeah. very stubborn and bullheaded and just you know he won't pivot and if you tell it and it's us against the world if you kind of question him and those kind of things and and also i mean to some extent thank god he doesn't speak to the media because i mean another thing i've gathered is that when like everyone acts like it's his fault he's going to get even more dug in and angry about it and all those things so that's its own thing but you know you talk it's well there's such, no hiding like, i mean there is no, no hiding no. from this like let's be clear like I mean that's the thing.
1: I, I love L S U, and this is the part that I hate because like, you know, I have relationships with people. I played for Pliny. Like I I want to be nice, but I but but I have to be objective. And this is just so I mean, what, what you're seeing on film is inexcusable. You are paid two point three million dollars. Yep. And
2: and you know, the funny thing is so much of this offseason, the thing that was getting the most like that O was the most excited about, right? The thing he was selling was that it was, you know, simpler and that they were getting away. I mean, the common, like, knock you would hear kind of on background was that like Dave's scheme was a little, Dave Rand's scheme was a little too complicated for some of the guys. And, you know, sometimes he was trying to, you know, be a little too smart and some of the guys were a little, you know, weren't really getting it. And now you are literally standing here on your Monday press conference and Ogeron's number one thing that he is, like, adamantly saying is, we're going to simplify. We're going to, you know, it's way too complicated. We are gonna, And he was like, you, I, can, I, I can promise you we are going to be simpler from now on. That is the number one thing that like is the issue
1: that is just uh. and that's why it's like so nobody nobody come at me and or, or come at us or whoever and tell me that i'm wrong or being overly critical because that is exactly what the film showed which i was actually very happy yeah. to see oh come out and like address that head-on because it is 100 on the coach's fault it's a defense that is so unbelievably confused nobody knows what to do And I mean, at least like the first step to fixing a problem is identifying it. So that gives me some modicum of hope that something can be salvaged. Like you don't even don't even be average, be below average. Just don't be historically bad.
2: And you're three and zero if you're below average. By the way, that defense even like below average. Even just like if it's even 10th best in the SEC or something like that you're 3 and 0 and this whole season looks different so that's the thing this is a new level of bad and this is where i want to circle back and ask you some questions cuz i mean yeah, yeah i rewatched the game too but you know football better than me and the things i'm noticing are yeah like you know Jabril oh by the Cox way before far- sorry before yeah, before please, do this please.
1: um just real quick so uh just just to inform your question if this changed anything i did I, I broke down all the failed third and tens and I charted, uh, at least to my count, every 10-plus yard play for Missouri. And they had 19 of them by my count and eight 20, uh, plays of 20 yards or more.
2: Yes. First off, beautiful. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm looking at uh, some advanced stats right now. LSU now ranks 70th in the entire country in explosiveness allowed, but also 61st in the country in success rate allowed. So teams are able to both move the ball when they want and move it for big gains. So that's uh, that's a problem. But <laughs> no, I want to ask you because I mean, I, I watch the game right, and you know, you you notice things like Jabril Cox passes the receiver over to Demone Clark, but Demon Clark's way behind on it, or yeah. you notice you know Todd Harris and Eli Ricks both think the other person has the receiver, you know, stuff like that. So and you know. You clearly you know dove into this deeper than me and you said that it's a defense that each person has one job but then it can change right So walk me through what you saw there that points that out that like that does make it seem too complicated.
1: Well so so, but that, so that's the thing is that how you can tell that it's too complicated is okay, first and foremost, the first major red flags are our people set at the snap And like I said, the defense was never settled. There were so many plays where you had one, two, three, four guys who had either just a millisecond before gotten in their stance, were taking their stance when the ball snapped, or weren't set at all. Um, you also look for Uh, like, like, okay. Like hand motions, right? Last second communication. And if you watch, watch the movement from Mizzou pre-snap and then watch LSU try to respond on the defensive side of the ball. It's guys like pushing each other and like frantically, like pointing to guys like you there, you there. Like, like, okay. The Eli Ricks, Todd Harris is a perfect example. Right before the snap, what do they both do as the ball is snapped? What are they doing? They're pointing to each other. So they're both like trying to figure out like okay who do you have like you have you have, and then and then what do you know the ball snapped no communication I think I guess Ricks thought they were in some sort of zone uh, I'm guessing that who screwed that up because Pelini then uh, was yelling at him on the sideline looks like they should have been a man and next thing you know it's just another busted assignment a touchdown over the top so as far as knowing the guys didn't know what to do. Um, I think those are your first major red flags, but there's also lesser things that you can look at. And that goes to the general passivity, if that's a word of the defense. Um, like we were talking about with the linebackers, right? Why are they so slow? Why are they playing so passive? Um, why aren't these holes being filled? Like, why, 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 why are these cutback lanes so wide open? And it's because everybody is, like I said, mental confusion equates to slow play. And so when you see an LSU defense, it looks very slow and very reactive, and you know that the talent on that defense is better than, well, then my explanation for that is that everybody's just thinking too much. Nobody is able to take advantage of their raw, natural athletic uh, athleticism because it's being blocked by just mental processing. And, and so I guess if, if I had to, if if you asked me for the things, and, and then there's also a ton of situations where it looks like Half the team's, like, playing man, and then half the team's playing zone. And then, of course, that, too, leads to busted coverages. And I see why they don't play zone. They're horrible at it. They're truly horrible at it. Uh, which, like, did you not install it till after Mississippi State killed you? Um, that, that seems crazy to me. I mean, I get it. And that doesn't seem accurate because gonna he said they're going to
2: see practice. more zone.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I it's just... Like I said, it's just like it's like Alex on on the chat said. It's just like it's like watching a lot of kids just fail this test, and at a certain point, it's like I mean, it's not really on the kids. Like, what what is being taught them? Like, like the 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 golden standard. We've talked about this in the whole that podcast podcast for our very loyal listeners. Maybe gone back way long ago, but the golden standard for a coaches: can you make things look complex while making the communication of your responsibility within that scheme easy to understand right the great minds do this I would say that you're seeing this with Lane Kiffin in that offense at Ole Miss it's an offense that looks like it is a ton of moving parts but there's not a lot of MAs there the Dave Aranda defense was the same way um looked very complicated and multiple but it seemed like everybody always knew uh for the most part what they were supposed to do um bo pelini is not just struggling in that department there is an utter failure nobody understands what their responsibilities are and the results uh speak for themselves that i mean just the two bad offenses have made you statistically the worst defense in the sec and now you still got to deal with florida you gotta deal with Ole miss you gotta deal with a and m you gotta deal with alabama i mean it could get truly brutal
2: <laughs> and and you know, one last thing before we kind of start moving on to, like, what now is... No, you can keep asking me. Keep
1: asking <laughs> me. Whatever you want. No, no,
2: no. I was going to say, so, I mean, another thing Ogeron said today was really interesting. Because what surprised me, a lot of the stuff that we saw, the stuff that you just broke down, is stuff that doesn't shock me anymore because we were used to it these first two weeks, but, you know, you were. it's still alarming. But the part that, like, was genuinely leaving me surprised was what the defensive line did. And I think a lot of that was the confusion stuff we were talking about. And a lot of that was the misdirection running schemes and just getting them out of touch. But... They they were just getting bullied a little bit. I think some of that was... Con- I mean, they were just getting bullied, yes. yes. And the, the, the D-line got blown and o- up. And
1: I don't know if that is a function of the confusion, but they got blown the hell And up. Ogeron
2: was asked about that today, and he said... He, this was really interesting, he's saying we might need to get some bigger bodies on the D-line, which then now all of a sudden you're changing against like an entire thing that you were excited about, that you were, like one of the few things you have going well, and don't get me wrong, I don't disagree with those you're on. but one of the things that's been going the most well is your pass rush and having you know, two more of just true rushers on both edges, and Anthony and Gay, and you know, this length and athleticism that isn't necessarily strong, and on the D-tackle spots, they've been playing a lot more Joseph Evans and Glenn Logan, than unless Apu Aiko, who by the way, he said didn't play because he basically had a bad week of practice which is now that's another fascinating thing and so and that's that's one of the things you got going well is that you have this attacking athletic pass rush and now now they're saying they might need to adjust and get some bigger bodies there and i don't know what that's going to look like does it mean like neil farrell and glenn logan play some strong side the end or something i have no idea what that means but
1: superman ain't coming through that door dude there ain't (laughs) ain't nothing you can do there ain't nothing you can do in that regard i mean you just gotta roll but he said they're he said said they're gonna
2: start seeing some bigger bodies like he said that confidently like we are going to play
0: bigger bodies up front now looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone
1: Hmm. I mean, I don't know how you get much bigger than Ali Gay. The guy's a freaking giant. Uh, But he struggled in run defense. No, he did. Um, He was quite poor. Uh, So I I will say this for the D-line. What does make everything look worse is in a 4-3, it is a single gap scheme as opposed to two gapping. Right, so these D linemen I essentially have one gap they have to worry about. When you have linebackers that aren't filling the leftover gaps like they're supposed to and are playing passive and leaving these cutback lanes open, it makes everything look worse. Now, don't get me wrong, the D line did nothing. Yeah, like nobody like made a play. Like they they did nothing. It's it's just that you know everything was made to look that much worse. Uh, by the linebacker players, or really the entire front seven, which you know what matters the most in a four three, the entire front seven, and uh, they got they just got dominated all night long, and it's kind of crazy when you get run on like that, and then you don't have Apu Aika in there who
2: conceivably is your best uh, run defender. Yeah, and so now I want to ask you this. I mean, it's a big question. It's three games, and like you know me, I'm like the least like reactionary I think sports person I know, but where do you go from here? Are you already at the point where like boosters are getting together, which by the way, I think to some extent they are and talking about your exit strategy from this, like where are you at in that sense?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, look, it's, it's something that you legitimately have to talk about. Now you don't make a decision during the season. Um, I guess unless things, I mean, but, but then again, I, I would have said that this was never even a realistic conversation three weeks ago. Right. Yeah. So, I guess things could get catastrophically worse. Like if you're going to, if you're looking at, if you're staring down the barrel of like one and nine or two and eight, um, which I don't believe will happen, but as we sit now, we can't, we can no longer just pretend that it won't. I mean, there's no game left in this schedule that you see as a for sure win when you look at how LSU No, nope,
2: literally none. Arkansas so, is no longer so, a pushover. Yeah,
1: I know. Blake Frank's over three hundred and four yeah. scores. They got cheated.
2: There is uh, like it is like conceivable. I'm not saying it. I have no way predicting this, but like one and nine is technically conceivable. It is technically on the table. And we'll go into a little schedule yeah, yeah. expectation because
1: I do think that's a terrible, terrifying, fascinating conversation. So if you get to that territory, then maybe it is a midseason. And firing. Yeah. Outside of that, I think you suck it up for this year, and then you've just got to have some real uncomfortable conversations afterwards. And here's the deal: as you have to hold yourself to the same standard that you have held yourself to in the past. It was very hard to fire Matt Canada. You made that decision believing in it, and believing it was the best thing. I think that same exact conversation is going to have to ta- have to take place. This is about twice the he money. Is. Here's your. <laughs> Yeah, here's your $2.3 million coordinator that has quite literally cost you two games against horrible teams. And it just, I mean, I guess I would say, signs, I would say it shows no signs of getting better. But, like, it's so hard to be worse that I think it will get better. But I just don't know how it could get good enough to justify bringing it back that price tag. And what's the wildest part about this is that is even with the $6.9 million buyout... And the, um, the the fact that LSU's losing millions upon millions of dollars in revenue this year. I still think you have to legitimately have that conversation by seasons in. There's just no other. I mean, there is oh, yeah. just no other way about it. And, and it's tough. And, and, and Ogeron's done, he's, he's taken his licks on this, and he knows it, and he acknowledged it today. That quote. Before the season started, right? Yep. About the defense being light years ahead. And the problem with that is, is that that shows a coach that was maybe thinking a bit more emotionally than he was analytically. He wasn't necessarily saying, and granted, sure, I'm sure they looked better at practice, but he still was not saying what I think his is his truest of hearts would tell him to be true. He was saying what he wanted I believe that, yeah. And and that much is obvious because it's just not. I mean, that is a quote that just seems like the height of absurdity here three weeks in. And what sucks is we should be talking about a team that actually carried through a lot of its offensive success. Yeah. And even though it's still got major things to fix, like there's so much potential in this offense and in the receiving core and in the quarterback play, and instead we're bogged down in this just menial uh, conversation about a defensive coordinator and, and and whether or not he needs to be paid $7 million not to work, which if you're Pelini, why would I want to get better? I'm entering tank mode. It's probably so awkward around that building. Like, I mean, can I really bring this back? Like if I just go and get fired, then I get paid $7 million not to work. Like hell yeah.
2: Dude. Living the dream. Go get a job as like an NFL assistant somewhere. I don't know. And I'm sorry. I'm trying to phrase what I'm trying to say. Like, Wow, I just lost my train of thought completely. I'm so sorry. It's gotten to the point
1: where we had, so, you know, there's the for cause clause in the contract, right? And in the chat today, we had people suggesting, like, ways that you could get Bo Pelini for cause
2: so you didn't have to give him the buyout. And it's not impossible that things bounce back. You have to start there. I mean, I was talking to somebody from Nebraska today who was criticizing Pelini quite a bit, but he was like, the thing with Bo is he's, he's smart. Like he, When he gets it right, he gets it so right. He like embarrasses somebody and dominates it. But when he's wrong, he can't pivot. He he refuses to admit he's wrong. And now you have to worry that he's just like out of the loop on what modern football is. But you do look forward to the schedule. I know we're not getting there yet, but you can lose every single one of those games. But you just need to be okay, is what we're getting to. And I'm not saying I believe this offense entirely yeah, yet. Yeah,
1: be below average. And, and, and yeah, no, no. And the offense isn't gonna like they're they're. They're not the best, and ultimately they will lose shootouts because they're not quite efficient enough. Um,
2: but they're getting better like each all, but week. But and
1: yes, and that's they a big are getting thing. better. And you you still would have won these first three oh, games God, had yeah. you just been below average. But and
2: yeah, so we'll wait and see what they do against you know the offenses against say a Florida or an Auburn for example. But point is, the offense is at least as good as you think it is right now, and that's while being forced to just be in these shootouts because of these defensive games. If the defense can get to Below average, or with the talent level you have, which by the way, I still believe is pretty damn high. If you can get this talent level to even be okay, then yeah, I think this this team can still win a lot of football games. You are still more talented than most teams you play on this schedule. It's just the point of how, you know, It's you tweeted out your favorite thing, the sunk cost fallacy and all that. And it's like, is it possible that each week that he's in charge, it's actually like making it worse? And that it's actually making things worse? go further behind and a linebacker is losing progression and all these things those are things you really have to worry about because these guys that we're talking about damon clark and jabril cox for example two guys who got highlighted the most for their bad game saturday those are guys that i would actually argue are two of the four players on that defense that way they were most excited about literally even just days within the season they were like these are our guys these are our superstars these are first round picks all these things and if they look this bad and this confused and all of the things you're saying about how timid they look which i agree with you have to to just say our coach might actually be making our players worse i
1: mean he's costing jabril cox money a lot of it yeah right now yeah um and 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 the reason why this missouri game to me is so much more terrifying than the mississippi state game was that although i saw busted coverages in the mississippi state game that just looked like a terrible scheme yeah that there were explanations. guys were just getting beat. Yeah. Like they were losing the one on ones. Yes, there were explanations. That is well said. This is inexplicable. Yeah. Or, or at least it's only explicable by nobody knowing what the hell's going on, which is directly at the coach's fault. So, I mean, look, I, I, I'm with you, though. Like, and with exactly the plan in action, we talked about this morning, and they know talked about it, the presser, like, just simplify everything. Nothing can go worse. Like, if you just run a base defense, and even if you're not in the position to do this or that, or somebody takes advantage of it, it still, on the whole, will be so much better than this kind of exact chess positioning that you're trying to accomplish right now. And, and if this offense and is any
2: good, then having a bend-don't-break defense is going to win you a lot of games. That's if, but... Yes, yeah.
1: yes, yes. And the op- so Okay, so, I mean... I don't think I have anything else to say on the defense. Well,
2: yeah. there's just one conversation I guess you have to have, and okay. and it's and I say this as somebody who still like it's not like Ed Ogeron is in any trouble. Ed Ogeron just won Coach of the Year, National Championship. Like he's got a long leash and he deserves to. And I still think very highly of him as a head coach. So like, don't take this as like oh bashing. But it is kind of funny how like. Two hires can change things both ways, right? Because I'd say going into 2019, it was like Ogeron's hiring was his most criticized thing, right? Like It was like Ed Ogeron has not had a great track record of hiring coaches. And then all of a sudden after 2019, it's like, wow, we hired Joe Brady. What what an incredible hire. Ensminger looks good now. Bill Bush is one he gets credit for. And even that's one I'd actually say is a Dave Aranda hire more than an O hire. But still, you know, and he was James Craig. He deserves a ton of credit for the James Craig hire, all these things. And then all of a sudden, another two hires, it all looks very different. Because then all of a sudden, you're like, well, now you're at, you got Mac Canada, you got. You got Bo Pelini, Scott Linehan hire, which I am I actually have some explanations for that, but I don't think that hire looks very good right now, especially... Right now, I think why the Linehan
1: hire doesn't look good is what was Joe Brady res- directly responsible for, third down and exactly. red zone, yes. right? Uh, so we assume that that's Linehan as well, and that has been the offense's two biggest
2: areas. Exactly. Extreme. So And I do want to get to that in a second. I have some thoughts on that, but still. So all of a sudden, you're like, now it's just it's funny how it can change so quickly because now you're looking at those three hires that, again, we still need some time, but there's a chance those three hires are just like train wreck hires and all of a sudden you know you're like uh, and it it can go either way and that's gonna hurt him by the way the next time he has to make a dc hire that's gonna hurt him in it's going to hurt them in a lot of things. It's going to hurt them in recruiting, by the way. They were like heavy favorites for Corey Foreman and Mason Smith. They really like, got a point where it really looked like they were about to get two five-star defensive linemen. I yeah, and what are they going to I'm do And I'm not now? saying, yeah, I have no clue. I'm not plugged in on that. They, they could still get him down the road. Who knows? But that that momentum definitely. But it's almost like you have to fire Pliny to keep Yeah, it. you just lost that insane I mean, momentum like, Yeah. So, anyway, that was just my only thing of like you no, have no, to no. have.
1: This is in my notes. What you're touching on, it's right here. I talked about it this morning. Uh, I wrote this up. Bo Pellini and his defense right now are a ballast around Ogeron's neck. Uh, yeah. They're 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 dragging him down. And here's a headline from Ralph Russo's AP Top 25 takeaways that he does every every week. This is the headline. Uh quote Ogiron's star turn could be short lived. <laughs> he then opens with Ogeron talking about how the defense is better than it was at any point last year, talking about the quote. And this is how he ends it. LSU had a once-in-a-lifetime season, and then the band basically broke up, leaving Ogeron behind to prove if he could be more than a one-hit wonder. His first big move was to bring in Pelini. His defense has given up more points to three games than any in LSU history. A year after beating Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney on the way to a national championship, Ogeron is conjuring up memories of a far less successful season at LSU. Heading to Florida next week to face the potent Gator offense, the Tigers are 1-2 for the first time since 1994. Curly Hallman's last season as a coach. And this uh, is obviously uh, tagged right along with LSU dropping out of the AP Top 25. So you're right. I mean, it could get bad enough where maybe some sort of it's almost like a, a a panic, like 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 freeze the stock. You know the the, the price is in free fall. Like we have to make some very clear public changes to get investors to kind of calm down. Investors stop selling it. and stop panicking. No, and you're you're right. Uh, and, and so and so maybe it has to get there. I don't know.
2: And here's the thing. Like I said, I I mean everyone deserves the chance to make bad hires. Like Nick Saban made some pretty bad hires in like 2018, 2019. You know, like everyone has those things, but. It's the fact that you know it's one of the fa- our favorite things to discuss after the championship and this whole spring was this idea of like now we really f- and I st- not taking away credit for twenty nineteen Oshon deserves so much credit but our thing was this is where we really yeah, find easy, out this is where we really find out what Ed is this is where like he has all the power he can do whatever he wants he can be the, like build the program perfectly in his image and all the moves that he made that were this is my image. So far, are going really, really poorly, and that's the part that has to scare you. And I'm not saying it's over, now, it's, but it's, it's scary.
1: So and now, and, and and so if we're and and we're going to acknowledge the bad, let's also acknowledge the good because yes. there is a little bit of negative confirmation bias going on where people are ignoring all the good moves and only highlighting the bad. I You're mean, right? Even the ten and three season that you kind of pulled out of your ass, uh, Ogeron was the architect. Oh, that was his best coaching yeah, of the key additions that made that come about, right? And 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 deciding to go from Canada, Ensminger, which had to be incredibly tough to do, even though it looks like he's going to have to do that once again. Um, and 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 so yeah, so he's the architect of ten and three. Obviously, the architect of fifteen and zero when you look at the key moves there. So like, and then you look at recruiting overall right now. The future, in my opinion, still looks very bright. But he's going to have to engage in. What, you know, it seems like was really the thing that helped him turn around his entire career, which is that self-evaluation, that raw, honest self-evaluation about, is this situation tenable? Can we actually make this work? And if we cannot, how do I convince my base to pay $6.9 million for this guy not to work after they basically hired him on my recommendation alone?
2: Yeah. And... All right, so is that are we good with basically what we? Well, actually, no. I, it's, it's connected because now I want to get to Scott Linehan, and Scott Linehan obviously they just they just had Joe Brady, and we've been on we've been on this whole thing about how you know all of a sudden like our definition of the passing game coordinator is so much like higher scale than it ever used to be when actually it's just like the number two to the OC. So it's a little unfair. But still Scott Linehan also is being criticized quite a bit right now, and some of it's rightfully so. You know, they're 53rd in the country on third uh third down percentage, I believe they are uh And that was something that we highlighted even last
1: week because remember they did a much better job of getting to third and manageable against Vanderbilt. They had a third and six third down average and yet they still did not convert at a very good rate. Oh, by the way, actually, it's like they're seventy fourth problem again, but they're just. Uh, what I that? said fifty
2: third. They're actually seventy fourth and third down I I about straight. to say
1: fifty three. Man, the country must be
2: horrible. They're they're two percent. So, but here's something I did want to point out after watching this game, and I'm curious if you just completely disagree, which will be fine, but. You know, I went back and I watched all the third downs and all the drives, really, that stalled. And, you know, 0 for 10 on third down is terrible, no matter how you look at it. There's no scenario where that's okay. But something interesting did kind of happen. And I started noticing it right around they started stalling, you know, late second quarter, early third. I understood, okay, they weren't running the ball. And I actually understood why. I mean, it's still a bad look when Missouri was without three defensive linemen. And, you know, you you should be able to just run the ball against a worse team. So, still not a great play calling. But... The passing game was open, right? And it did succeed most of the game. And 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 the drop-off, the O-line
1: blocked terribly. Like the drop-off from Ed Ingram to Charles Turner, and that's no disrespect to Turner because just how good Ingram is compared to Turner's first start. It's just a... It's like driving directly off the grand canyon.
2: And and so as I went back and watched, you started seeing a lot of those drives that became a third and long, which was the real problem. The problem was, it's not that they were terrible on third down. It's that they put themselves in such long third down distances. I think the average was 9.6 or something. And But you started seeing, okay, there was the first down where they drew up a perfect screen where John Emery should have had 15 yards and he drops it. Or there's the the first down where Torrey Carter actually gets a wide open about eight yard completion and it goes right off his hands and you know you started seeing or, or a third down where he puts a pretty nice ball in Terrace Marshall's spot but it gets broken up you know it, it became this thing where I'm not sure I'm like ready to be like they were terrible on third down or if anything it became like just a bizarre amount of drops and missed out and some were bad Brennan throws too just a bizarre amount of like mess ups on first and second down put them in terrible third downs
0: and I know that sounds yeah. like I'm doing some twisted you know like spin no, zoning no, 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 but no. I'm just saying I'm not
1: well no so so i think i think both are true i i i think that you are correct in, and 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 i'll point out a sequence that just perfectly highlights what you're just talking about you are correct in that ultimately a lot of the times you pay for the sins uh that you that you make on first and second down you you know payment time is on third down and, and and lsu without a doubt ran into that uh but still just overall on the season they're just not good at third down like and and you're right it's 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 this weird whose turn is it now type of deal where it's like a drop pass. This throws a little errant. Oh, they missed the protection there. Like it's it's just a different position group seemingly every time. But let's look at the last third and 18. So this is where you had a three point lead and you are trying to drive to obviously extend that lead. Um, so you get to third and 18. How did you get there on first and 10? You had the dropped uh, touchdown by Tory Carter, which was an unbelievable yep. throw. In between three guys right there. And people are like, why are you throwing to Torrey Carter? I want the quarterback to make the correct decision. And that was the right read, and it should have been a touchdown. Agreed. Now, if you want to say the coaches should put in a personnel that doesn't have Torrey Carter in there, because obviously he's just a 2 tight end, and they're still running their stuff, and so they just put him in because Gilbert was out. Um, that's all well and good, but you cannot blame the quarterback for that. He needs to make the – Drew Brees throws to Dan Arnold for a reason, right? it's 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 because you have to make the read no matter what so first and ten you're set up by the drop touchdown so then all of a sudden you're 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 you're, uh, you're you're behind the chains then on second and ten you get a little pressure brendan tries to scramble instead of throwing it away he tries to run he gets tripped up three yard loss so all of a sudden you're now in third and 13 then there's a the delay of game penalty yeah. that makes it even worse you're now in third and 18 then on the third and 18 uh, you allow a free rusher up the middle. It looked like a misidentified mic call to me, causing the O-line's responsibilities to be off. Free blitz up the middle. Brennan gets hit. You obviously don't get the first down. Now you're in an extra long field goal. And then Kay York, who's been excellent, um, trying to get a little extra oomph. Line drives it, blocked kick, and the rest is history. So, I mean, that, 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 that sequence does highlight a lot of what went wrong at the end of the game when LSU started to stall. You're right. It was the failures on first and second down a lot of
2: times. Yeah, and but here's the thing. You want to hear a wild stat that might tell me I'm like incredibly wrong. I just found it while you were talking cuz I wanted to double check myself. They actually have the 20th best average their down distance in the in the country, which is mind-blowing. But I don't so, yeah. <sighs> I mean that I mean it make I mean it, they were really good against Vanderbilt. 20 still
1: seems high, but um yeah, that's just an aside. Go on. No, but I mean, but I mean, I, I have the down of distances right here, and they got long at the end, but they weren't at first. No, the first so half they were short. And two, yeah. third and fourth, third and five. I missed one of them in the third quarter. Um, I thought it was tight when they went for it on fourth and five early on and yep. got it. Which, that I,
2: was, in my mind, that counts. That, yeah, that was cool. Um, <laughs> it does. It should. It's the same thing. Um, no, that was actually a great sequence because on third and thirteen, you got yourself to a like, manageable. Yards, yeah. Okay,
1: let's go for it, fourth down. Yeah, you got eight. So, so
2: okay, we're at the we're um, pretty far in here. So I think it's time to just talk like, what do we think happens the rest of the season, and what we'll, we can make it relatively quick.
1: Well, well, hold on. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about offensively? Because I just got a couple more. Yeah, th-
2: I'd love. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll say the one clear thing, which is Miles Brennan. It's the same thing we talked about last week. He has gotten better every single week. His deep ball looks so much yep. better. He looks more comfortable. And by the way, Missouri was getting pressure, so it's not like he. Had clean pockets like the Vanderbilt game and he was stepping into throws he officially to me looks like a solid SEC quarterback but what's the one thing I've said all year every single week after his worst game and after his best games I am not making a strong decision on Miles Brennan until the Florida game and I know it's not a good Florida defense but still it's Florida it's talent level it's different so and it's going to be full stadium probably on the road yes yeah good point so But I'm very impressed with how he's gotten better because, like we said, that is one of those things you always hear people like, oh, he's going to get better. But that is really hard to actually get better every week, and he is. So credit where it's due. They look pretty good.
1: Yeah, his trajectory speaks to him being very good. Now, obviously, see, this is what sucks is he should have been able to build up a little cushion in these first three games (laughs) to make mistakes in the bigger ones. But now he's going to be held to an even more impossibly high standard. Um, and I do think the, the, just because of the rise in competition, I do think his play will actually take a step back. It's just that I still love his overall potential. Uh, I mean, the first throw, the first touchdown throw was dropped in the beautiful touch in the back corner to Marshall. The second touchdown throw, another beautiful touch in the crossing route where he's hit as he throws. He gets a little scramble to extend just enough. Um, I, I like on the third touchdown, not anything that Miles did necessarily, but I like their formation where they go trips right, Eric Gilbert alone on the left. Yeah. If he gets manned, just trust him to body him up. And then the 75 yard touchdown was just like It was great. You know, as perfectly thrown on a rope uh of a deep ball And you, leave this game, as you could have had. You
2: leave this game really confident that he actually has a good connection with both Marshall and Eric Gilbert, which is very important. Yeah. yeah.
1: Wait, so how about um what do you think about Miles? Instead of running out of bounds when he like clearly could have gone out of bounds. You could see the wheels turn in his head. He made a conscious decision <laughs> like, no, I've gotta turn this thing up. And he plants his foot and tries to run over the linebacker only to get lit. So that up. is
2: something that like everyone kept telling me is like everyone thinks like Miles is like the skinny kid, but it's like Miles wants to hit somebody. Like I've like we've talked on this show. Like I've heard stories of him in the fourth quarter program or in high school or I remember last year and I think it was the Utah State game, he actually ran a twelve-yard run up the middle and like refused to slide and went at the linebacker. So not a very smart move, but it is, I guess, like a let's not forget forget joe burrow like won most of his points with the fan base in 2019 yes. by like, taking hits and like liking hitting people the difference is joe burrow still kind of went forward on those hits but hey whatever
1: and and i mean also uh, did I, you had a you you had a little bit of a better insurance policy with miles as a backup <laughs> compared to two freshmen so like you maybe want to be a
2: little more not careful too so, I, also i love here. everybody what? on twitter what? did you hear i'm oh, sorry Oh, so no, I, I just want to say everyone was like, man, you see, you hurt the linebacker. And like, like Miles Brenner hurt this no, guy. No, he didn't. It was the guy who went over him. It wasn't the guy he hit. The other guy went over him and it got hurt. Yeah, Alright, just no, had to say that. He did
1: not hurt the linebacker. <laughs> uh, but but no, but you heard did you hear Coach O talk about that during the press conference today? No. He, he, he said that it was uh it, it was like one of his favorite things that he's seen on tape from Miles. Okay, I must have missed that. That, that he, he was saying that you know the the they were always kind of wondering uh you know o said you know i thought i thought he could take the big shot and bounce right back but i didn't know it it had to be proven and and for o it sounded like that was like a big time kind of prove it moment for him when he saw miles take that shot and then get right back up so yeah it's funny how much it, that little stuff kind of matter
2: uh, yeah, exactly. And the second half, and Miles he came was back and pulled out, solid. So yeah, I, I'll give him credit, and and I do think how good his connection looks with you know we knew it'd be solid with Marshall, how good it looked with Gilbert. They just look like they genuinely had a good thing going. So that's promising because that Terrace Marshall is incredible. I hate that his
1: performance is just lost in all this because he was unbelievable. I mean, our, our Dame Brugler, if only he had managed to stretch that ball out, dude. If only he managed uh, to stretch yeah. that ball out at the end. He yeah, was so close. Dame
2: Brugler, I believe uh, the Athletic our our draft analyst. Yeah, I believe he tweeted Saturday like, is else you can have two top five receivers this year, which, I mean, like, Marshalls are earning first-round busts. But, yeah, that's all I got on the offense.
1: I mean, what if, like, what if Jamar Chase is on this team? I mean, I can't do that to my brain, but, my God. Yeah? It'd be incredible. Um, Okay, last thing I want to talk about, the goal-line play oh, yeah, from the one. It's funny.
2: I just don't have so that many thoughts there. I just don't, but I okay, want to hear, so I hear yours. So yeah. here's
1: my biggest issue with it. Here's my biggest issue with it, um, is that in the... Two runs in the first three calls, which are two runs in a very quick, like quick design throw, right? Where you're only going one place with the throw. Um, My issue with that is you really only gave Brennan one chance to win you the game. Like on a day in which he did everything for you, including driving you down there to be in that position, you really only put the ball in his hand on one play. And, and granted, on that fourth down play, he had Kirkland on the backside. He was locked in a Marshall. I don't know if I can blame him for being locked in a Marshall at this point, but Kirkland would have been open on the backside. But, like, I would have liked to have seen you give him at least two chances. Yeah. And then I guess my only other thought is I hate LSU's quick back-to-back zone runs. Um, not not because they're run calls. I just – because that sequence has become predictable out of them. Yeah they've done it for two years straight now in every short yardage situation. I would have loved some sort of play action, like like do the thing that you always do, but mix it up with like a jump pass or something. Like there's so many... Different ways that you could have handled that. So I was like, as soon as you saw them lining up real quick on taking down, you knew exactly what was coming. And lo and behold, that was it. And, so that's my main and no. Thing and there's like it's just that you only gave Brennan one. There count. is
2: something interesting to point out. There is that after the the state game, I had somebody specifically to go out of their way to tell me that they had fixed that because I was the one thing week one is they were mad that like those opt those run plays like Miles didn't have the option to pull it at the goal line. And someone said, we specifically went in to fix that. So now Miles does have that option to pull it, and it didn't look like he did. So that is just something to, well, yeah, to keep an he, eye he on.
1: Definitely, he definitely that, – that was a street zone at the end. Yeah. I don't think he ever would have pulled that at the end. And then the other thing is, though, I, I, I mean, everybody knows you're just lining up and running zone again. And, you, and you've and you been terrible. Like, you had been terrible run blocking all day long. I know you want to think you should be able to get a yard, but the game had proven that you could not get a yard at will. Uh, Ed Ingram was sorely missed. Um, okay, so that's the offense. It's the defense. It's a one and two LSU team that looks like it's in very rough shape. Now, Brody, let's talk about where things go from here. Go to the athletic.com, sign up for the, you know, the athletic.com slash hold that podcast, sign up for the deal. And then after you do that, um, go look at the LSU schedule. And when you look at the games remaining, uh, let me pull mine up real quick. So you have Florida this week. South Carolina, Auburn, Alabama, Arkansas, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss. I'll tell you where my head's at. I will still give you the benefit of the doubt on South Carolina and Arkansas, which I shouldn't, but I will. Yeah. So I'm going to say you win those two. Yep. I'm going to say you lose to Florida and Alabama, mm-hmm. and then you have three question marks in Auburn, A&M, and Ole Miss. Why that's terrifying is before you factor in three question marks, if those games play out with the two wins and two losses, like we said, you're at three and four. You are three and four feeling like you most likely end at four and six. I cannot. I, I would have never thought that was even in the cards when they came out with the new SEC schedule. We talked how LSU was the big winner, and they added Mizzou and Vandy. It's, it, it is unthinkable that that's where we have arrived. Wait, wait.
2: How, where are you getting three and four?
1: Uh, because right now you're one and two. And so I'm giving you wins over South Carolina and Arkansas, and I'm giving you losses against Florida
2: and okay, gotcha. Well, that's the thing though. what's scary is that, okay, you lose to Florida, you let's say you beat South Carolina, you lose to Auburn, you're going into Bama two and four. And then well, the, yeah. And then, it's you're, even two, worse. So then you're two, gonna and be two five. and five. <laughs> so that's the really scary True. thing because now you even, have yeah, this like, albatross worse. hanging <laughs> over it, where each game literally is a win-win. And and just for context, uh, Bill Connolly's ESPN uh, numbers give LSU a 32 percent chance of five and five, a 27 percent chance of four and six, and the 19 percent chance of six and four. So you're more you are more likely to go four and six than six and four based on the the analytics. Uh, that makes sense. To oh me. yeah, I mean that. Definitely and, makes to it me. gives him a five and five would be the success at this point oh my god yeah and if you go six and four at that point you're like wow i hold a turnaround good coaching job you know like <laughs> yes, then we're gonna have to yes, write like weird yes. puff pieces and that's gonna be a new thing yeah but, you're right but i mean yeah i just so okay part of me does believe they still win one of the big four i do i think they i think they find a way because you are still that talented you are still, you know, a team. And
1: Florida, Florida looks way more vulnerable than they did. Like, you know, theoretically, you could win a shootout yeah. there. Florida looks I vulnerable. Mean, I don't think Alabama.
2: Auburn does. still looks really messy to me. And a And M. Who knows what to make out of a And M? Although I, A&M I don't know A&M what to now. Make, yeah. Have you seen this?
1: Have you realized just with how things have played out, a And M probably has the best path to the
2: Natty out of anyone. <laughs> how was that possible? It, it's oh, because they're already through their dude. two toughest games, probably.
1: Because they're not going to have to worry about an SEC championship. They're through the two. They will be uh, favored in every game likely from here on out. I have. I'm pulling. So up A&M in A and M could yeah. make the argument that they're going to be nine and one, and then you're not going to not put a nine and one team in the playoff. Oh my god! From the SEC, so A and M's actually in the catbird seat right now.
2: Wow. Well, the problem is things things change
1: fast. It's it's take quakes 2020. They never stop. They keep coming. It's wild. Yeah.
2: But it is set up though where they're probably gonna be going into their last two games, you know, something on the lines of like seven and one. And wow, that's gonna be fascinating. Okay, um so okay, let's let's make our predictions. Cause I think my prediction, I still think you win one of those four. Well I'm gonna I'm just gonna say Auburn for the hell of it. So you're two and three going into I think I go five and five, which is the boring most likely scenario, but I'm gonna. Go.
1: I go five and five as well, but like I actually feel like I'm being a bit of a homer with that. Yeah, like I really think that four and six feels like the most realistic. If play. you're judging just, just off those I, first three
2: I, games, yes, four yeah. and six is the correct exactly. answer. Like yeah. it's
1: just it's it's so tough for me to give the benefit of the doubt when that's what we did for this Mizzou game and look at how badly it bit us.
2: Yeah, there's just that part of you that has to say like it can't. It can never be as bad as it just was, I right? Just, I mean, like you I assume guess, exactly, that, yeah. right?
1: Like this is such a rock bottom moment, and if you look at how they responded the last rock bottom moment against Troy a couple of years ago, that ended up being the catalyst for tons of positive change. So it's like,
2: wow, kind of funny. Maybe then happened both times. Again, Mississippi State but... was the the pre bottom. Both times, because in twenty seventeen yeah. Mississippi State routed them, but it still wasn't bottom. Troy had to happen this time. It's Missouri.
1: Yeah, I I, I feel like Ogeron's kind of like. You know, when he's not whooping everybody's ass, he's got a little bit of a Santa quality to him. He's just like hooking all these fan base up with tight wins. <laughs> like, Troy, you got Spin one. Spin zone, okay, Mullen, you needed one at the end. Leach, you need to kick this bandwagon off. Come on, dude. <laughs> Drinkwitz, fucking nerd, you probably won't win again this year. Come on, dude, let's go. Like, let's ride. I mean, like, he, went out, he, he
2: shook his hand after, and co- he's like, "You're welcome, my man." Like, I got, I got you. I got you.
1: You're good for a year, bro. I got you. I mean, Christmas comes early this year when you play
2: the LSU Tigers. He's gonna be like, "You're gonna have to I mean, pay bro, me back next year, though." Yeah.
1: Lane Kiffin is looking at Bo Pelini like he's a delicious, like just dinosaur that's ready to be put out to pasture and grilled up. That's the last up. game of the year. I mean, oh. Lane Kiffin has got to be licking his chops after what I just saw. Lane after saw the tempo and what Lane Kiffin just did to Nick Saban in that Alabama even. I am terrified
2: for Bo Pelini and LSU. Yeah, me too. All right, so we're both at five and five, and if it's five and five, I don't think Bo Pelini is still the LSU defense coordinator in twenty twenty one.
1: No, cannot be, cannot be. Also, the, the LSU is in a unique position where, depending on how this all plays out, I think you, you and because of the natty and everything, you will still be able to sell people on the overall vision that O is the man for the job, and he yeah. is, hopefully, But whatever. But but so so the point being there is that okay, anger can drive the checkbook as long as either the headman is being replaced or you still believe in the headman yeah. And so like they can still sell uh, O as being the headman and then get people to donate to it. It's just so sad that you are gonna have to if, if it reaches that, that you, it, it would be so terribly sad in 2020 when everybody's scrounging for money and everybody's getting hit and including the athletic department itself, if you're out there, gathering donations to pay a guy $7 million not to work, but that's how bad it potentially looks like it could get this year. Yeah,
2: and the funny thing is, I, I just wonder how much, like, you know, hiring power O loses, you know? I, that's the other thing you... Ton. Yeah. I
1: mean, you got to. Like, I, mean, I wonder how absolutely.
2: much... It's, is it 100% his say next time? I don't know.
1: No, I think Woodward gets to have a much uh, bigger say in the process. And, and whatever, whatever, man. Fine. I, would, yeah. I would welcome that if I was Ogeron. Um Oh, it's bad. It's bad. So this is the Hold That Podcast podcast. <laughs> uh, Theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Dollar a month. If you do it now, do it. Get it? It's an Arnold joke, Brody. Nailed it. Um, thank you. And then listen to Football Grits, SEC Podcasts, of the Athletic. I was on there last week with John, and we were picking games, and I think every one of my predictions went horribly awry. Um, and, uh, yeah, get your meets at a Especially on the Bocage location. Uh, brody anything to say on the way out
2: i think we've said it all my man
1: yeah i believe so too um all right everybody keep the faith it's you know these are the fun seasons we can actually talk about things that need to be improved upon instead of just masturbatory celebrations week in and week out uh adversity is what molds us so uh, share this with all of your friends or we're kicking you out the club share it, rate it, review it, that all helps us we'll see you next week on the Hold That Podcast Podcast